Happy end of the week. My name is Adam. Welcome into the Mike Farrell Sports Show. As, uh, as always, this would be silly if Mike Farrell wasn't with me, and he is. Mike, what's going on, my friend? Uh, nothing. Uh, we got coaches to talk about, which is fun, and we got weekend games to talk about, too. So let's dive into, I guess, let's dive into Brian Kelly first, because he's already had it out with reporters. Yeah. <laughs> and he's 0-1, and everybody wants him gone. Is that what I'm hearing? Maybe we'll get into that in a moment. Again, do us a few favors. Subscribe on your podcast player on the Believe Podcast Network. If you're watching on YouTube, I don't blame you. We're two fairly um, good-looking individuals. I don't blame you for wanting to see some eye candy on YouTube. But while you're there, subscribe as well. It's not going to hurt you. And then bookmark uh, MikeFarrellSports.com. A lot of good content going up there. Mike's obviously got a new partnership, a new look and feel of the site. You're going to love it. And one of the things on the site, you just referenced it, Mike, is a new piece you have today, Brian Kelly. Yeah. And the five things working against him uh, mm-hmm. as he takes over as LSU coach. We posted the uh, the clip from the show on uh, on Monday early this week where you kind of posit that Brian Kelly looked a little checked out uh, in Me. that FSU game. Um, I'm sure that got some reaction. That got you to the that got you to the keyboard. Uh, what are your thoughts on on Brian Kelly? Well, He's making some friends down there already. I did my full ride appearance with Rick Nohasen and Chris Childers. Uh, I think it was yesterday. Yeah, Wednesday. And they thought, he was an, they thought he was animated. And I was like, no, I, don't, I didn't see him animated. I mean, I didn't see the red face uh, Brian Kelly that I expected to see, but they saw that. They saw a very angry human being. But I, with, <laughs> with so much going wrong from a coaching perspective, you know, muff punts, uh, blocked extra points, uh, senseless penalties, I just thought he would be a little bit more checked in. Um, so it made me think, you know, when he was hired, I thought these things would work against him. And he already had a little tiff with the media. And that's my number four thing. But here are the five things working against him where I don't think this is going to be a match. Uh, and again, 0-1-1, it sounds ridiculous to say that. But I would have said this when he was hired, simply because when Charlie Strong was hired at Texas, I didn't think it was a cultural fit. Southeast guy, you know, trying to put on a, a 10-gallon hat and recruit in Texas, just not a fit. Um, and Kelly, you know, being a, a Massachusetts guy, a mass hole, as we call them up here. There we go. Um, you know, coaching every coaching job is up north and going down to Louisiana as an outsider. Um, so the culture is the first thing. You know, uh, Les Miles was born in Ohio. Uh, Nick Saban came from Michigan State. It can be done. But Les Miles coached at Oklahoma State and Nick Saban's Nick Saban. Um, so I, I don't think Kelly is Nick Saban. He's a very good coach. Um, you know, but being a New Englander down there, uh, it's going to be tough to fit in. He's trying, and we're going to get to that a little bit. In a second. Maybe you can take me inside for a second. Was he their first choice? Because your point, no. it looks like a really no. odd fit. Was he no. what number choice on the list did Scott Woodward get to? He was like, you know well, what, Brian Kelly. <laughs> they wanted Lincoln Riley. They wanted right. Mel Tucker. I mean, those were the two big names they wanted. And again, Lincoln Riley, you know, coaching in Oklahoma. The, there's a segue there. Mel Tucker little bit of Alabama. a segue because he coached at Georgia and, and, you know, he's got ties to the SEC. Um, you know, that made more sense, but those two guys that didn't work I mean, Michigan state overpaid Mel Tucker and, uh, mm. and Lincoln Riley took the money at USC. So Brian Kelly was it. And he's a good coach. I mean, he's done great things at Notre Dame, but my, my point is that if he struggles, you know, and he's on one, he's going to be a guy that they won't back. Uh, fake accents, recruiting videos, whatever embarrassing things he wants to do to try to fit in that he's done. Wait, hold on. What? That accent was fake? That was a fake accent. What? Yep. And, now and you tell me. The dancing recruiting 
video was embarrassing. I don't know if you knew that. Um, <laughs> I think everybody knew that. That kid didn't even sign with with LSU. Do I have that right? Yeah, that's correct. He didn't. <laughs> yeah. um, but, you know, embarrass yourself anyways. Uh, that's what you do in college football anyways. You know, Jim Harbaugh's climbing trees and blah, blah, blah. But but he just he's trying too hard to fit in. It, it's definitely this, uh, you know, round hole, square peg type of situation. Uh, roster management is going to be an issue because at Notre Dame, uh, especially, you know, 40-year decisions, that's all everybody talked about, academics, you know, all this stuff. LSU is a three-year decision, and we want to go pro for the most part. Not every kid, but mostly that situation. Keishon Booty's antics wouldn't have happened at Notre Dame. Just that I don't believe that's part of the culture there, and it is at LSU. You know, you get guys transferring. You get guys, um, you know, mailing it in. Derek Stingley mailed it in for his last two years. Elias Ricks transfers. You know, great players come in there. Easy to recruit, not easy to keep them happy. The portal, part of that, that's my third reason. You know, they lost a lot in the portal. Uh, and I think with his coaching style, you know, he's a guy who doesn't take a lot of garbage and he throws kids under the bus, as we've already seen this season. Uh, he's going to drive some kids away. So the portal is very dangerous. It could be great for him, but it also could be a disaster. Media, uh, this this is underplayed, I believe, in, in coaching success. Uh, and mm -hmm. we're going to, you know, talk about Scott Frost too. You got to be, you got to be affable. You got to be available. You got to be, uh, you have got to get along with the media. They're, well, yeah, know, let's, let's, let's talk to for a second at the press conference. For those who don't know, he, he got up and, and I guess somebody was late. He, he tried to, was that a joke he was making, yeah. Mike, where he talked about putting money in a kitty. We're all yeah. going to party. Am I, it didn't come across as a joke. I don't well, think if, if you don't know, a, Brian Kelly, he's not a funny human being. Remember the joke about, uh, executing his players. Yes. You know, that whole, I think it was uh, the coach of the team, the big Buccaneers. John McKay or Jim yeah. McKay line. What, yeah, what you do you think about your team execution? I'm all in favor of it. Yeah. Very funny, right? Uh, I bet and, it was. In 1976, it was funny. Well, and the way Brian Kelly tries to portray himself as humorous comes off like, you know, a, a fart in church. It's horrible. It's really just doesn't work out well. Um, so that was kind of a joke. And it, it, it the guy came back at him. Uh, he can get rattled. He can get upset easily. Um, he's not a guy that does well in the media. Um, he's handled Notre Dame well, but there were some talks of, you know, Brian Kelly this, Brian Kelly that, um, you know, and, and everything was scrutinized and he just doesn't handle himself well. If they struggle, you know, he's not going to go out there like Ed Orgeron where you can't understand every other word and he's go just a Louisiana guy, you know, and he bleeds Baton Rouge and LSU. Brian Kelly's not that. And then the last one is his stubbornness. We know how stubborn he is when it comes to recruiting, when it comes to quarterback development. You know, LSU is going to recruit well, but he's already taken a few guys in the Midwest. Uh, you know, I think – and they've had successful guys in the Midwest. Not, not a ton, but they've had okay recruiting in the Midwest. But you got to make the coaches happy um, in Louisiana, and I'm not sure he could do that either. So this is just a bad fit, and, and again – he can have success. I mean, LSU, Ed Orgeron is not a great coach, just not. Uh, and he went undefeated and put together one of the best teams of all time. You, if you have the talent and everything comes together, you can be successful. But Brian Kelly so far, uh, I think these five things are going to start to work against him even more. How, how quickly? When, when does the seats get warm for Brian Kelly? How much of a leash does he have? Um, listen, he's got a really, really big, big contract. <laughs> guaranteed contract too. Um, you know, they just paid out Ed Orgeron, who's just the man who was telling that story 
That, yeah, by the way, that, that interview he did where he said, when do you want me to leave and what door do you want me out? It was fantastic. Yeah. 17 million. Uh, when do you want me to leave? What door? Uh, that was great. But, you know, they just paid him out. Um, LSU has Southern this weekend. And, and you know, obviously they're going to win that football game. And then you look at their schedule. Uh, they, you know, Mississippi State, New Mexico, Auburn, all winnable football games. I, I, I think if he goes six and six this season, people are going to be upset. And remember, this is a team that was down to under 50 players on the roster scholarship wise um, because of defections and, and all this other stuff, early NFL entries. You know, I think it's year two where we're going to look at it. If he's six and six again or, or, you know, God forbid, lower, that's where people are going to be like, this just isn't working. This is just a fit. And we're in an impatient world uh, where you, you really don't get a whole long time to be successful. So I would say, you know, next season, depending on how this season goes, uh, he'll be on a warm seat. Well, predict like predict this year. Like, what where where is he at this year? What does he need? What's the what's the threshold he's got to get to? Do you think where he's you know gets safe? I got him four and one, four and two, four and three, four and four, four and five. See, I, I got him losing like four games in a row. Uh, four and six, five and six. I got him five and seven this year, and that's not good. I got him losing to Tennessee, Florida, Old Miss, and Alabama in a row in the middle of the season. Uh, and then I've got him losing Arkansas, actually Arkansas. So that's five games in a row. And then I've got him losing Texas A&M at the end of the season. So I, I give him the benefit of the doubt. We're going to beat Southern Mississippi State, New Mexico, and Auburn. I think they could beat. Uh, but then after that, the only one is UAB. And there's losses and losses and losses. And people are going to start getting upset. He really needs in this stretch, Tennessee, Florida, Ole Miss, Alabama, Arkansas. He needs to go three and two there, not 0 and 5. But that's three very difficult victories. Um, and they are at, you know, Arkansas. They're at Florida. They got three at home, but those three are home or Alabama is going to kill them. Uh, I don't know. It's I just five and seven. Can he change uh, of your list of five things? Which five things, A, can, can he impact? And B, which of those things do you think he actually will impact? Mm-hmm. I, don't I mean, know. stubbornness, right? He could potentially he change that, that right? I don't think he can change that. I don't think he can. He's been doing it for so long, and he's been so successful doing it that he's going to stick to it. And he's just a stubborn guy. I mean, he's from Everett, Massachusetts. Um, you know, I, I know people in Massachusetts. I lived in Massachusetts. I know people from Everett, and I know people from the Boston area. They're not going to change. They're going to be stubborn. Uh, it's not New York, but it's similar. Um, it's it's their way of the highway. Culture, he's not going to be a fit. The only way you fix his culture is winning. Then everybody doesn't care where you come from. You could be from Mars as long as you're winning. The roster management and the portal and the media are the three things I think he can change. Um, you know, he can – we've seen him try to be funny. That doesn't work. But he can be affable. I, I interviewed him a couple times, and he was very, very affable and, and likable to me. Um, the portal that has to be maneuvered and, 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 you know, handled properly. He's going to have kids like Keishan Bude, you know, just get rid of their social media. And, you know, now that there's portal windows, it changes a little bit of something, but you know, if Keishan Bude is a freshman, he could go in the portal in December and you could lose your best player. That's just the way it is. Now he's going off to the NFL and then roster management, um, that's going to be key as well. So those two things, roster manager and the portal, are the most important thing to me. If he can handle that, if he doesn't have mass defections and he can keep everybody happy, then they can be successful. 
What does it tell you? I mean, typically, you know, especially when you cover a college team, you know, those, those coaches are revered as gods, right? Typically, medias are a little bit nicer. What does it tell you, like, press conference two of the season, and the media is not afraid to snipe back at him? Is that kind of – is that instructive of the reputation he's built or the rapport he hasn't built so far yet with the local media? Yeah, I think it's um, indicative of the fact that he's an outsider. Um, you know, and, again, Nick Saban was an outsider, um, and at that time, he hadn't won any national titles. And, but I think LSU media are, they've been through Les Miles and Ed Orgeron and Nick Saban. It's no longer, you know, media members become as successful and cocky as the team around them. And, mm-hmm. and 2019 sure. sort of made the media members of Louisiana a little bit more, uh, I guess, a little bit more bravado there. And, and, you know, 2019 really did a lot for this program, but it also set the bar so high that the media members can now scrutinize one game in. Um, so I think it's just the fact that he's an outsider. Like, Ed Orgeron, he got criticized, but mm-hmm. but he was one of one of them. He was a Louisiana guy. I mean, it, it's, just, it's just the way it is. Like, if you meet somebody, I used to, you know, go to football camps in the South as a guy who lived in New England all my life, and people weren't mean to me. But they didn't embrace me and, and accept me until it took time and time again for me to come down there. And then they became accepting of me. It's just the way it is. If you meet somebody that, oh, you're from my home state, it's, it's just a bond there that doesn't exist if you're from, you know, if, if you're if I'm in Connecticut and you're from Wisconsin, like it's just not the same. Uh, from one coach to another, then that's five reasons that uh, maybe yeah. Brian Kelly has some obstacles in front of him. Five reasons Scott Frost has basically an unemployment uh, line in front of him, according to you, Mike, again, on MikeForRealSports.com. Obviously, Frost one and one on the season, uh, head scratching loss to Northwestern. Eeks one out, uh, uh, Eeks one out against North Dakota, not North Dakota State, but North Dakota. Uh, and obviously a, an easier one this weekend, and then comes uh, a murderer's row at some point down the road there, Mike. Scott Frost going to get fired, according to you. Give me five reasons why. Yeah. And, and I love Nebraska fans. They are just like, man, they're just finding Nemo. They're like Dory, you know. They're a little bit, they're a little bit scattered, um, but they're always looking for the positive. They're always happy, but they forget things so quickly, you know. And so I put this out originally uh, after the Northwestern game, and then we transitioned over to Sports Illustrated, and the article got lost. And, and it just, you know, that's part of the, the switch and change of admins and stuff. And I'm like, this is a pretty good article, you know, as far as the five coaching candidates and the five coaching reasons why he has been successful. I'm going to pop it up again, but it was after the North Dakota game, and Nebraska fans were all upset. They're like, well, the guy just won. He won a game. I'm like, no, no, no. He's 16 and 30. This is the worst four-year stretch in Nebraska football in 60 years. North Dakota win doesn't change any of this narrative. Uh, and there's five reasons why he has been successful. Tight coaching. You know, uh, He's mm-hmm. always been a tight coach. And by that, I mean he's not a guy who goes out to win games. So then he tries to overcompensate for that with an onside kick against Northwestern. Dirt's a disaster. They lose. And they were up 11 points and lose the game. Loyalty. He, he's just too loyal. Uh, Eric Shin, Shin, Shenander is a great person. I like him as a human being. He worked at, uh, you know, for Frost at UCF um, as a defense corner. Supposed to bring the black shirts back. The defense is not scary. The black shirts are not back. Um, they looked. They made Ryan Olinsky look great. 
They continue to underachieve, but he will not get rid of that guy, period. Um, physical play, they, they have not been a physical football team, and I think that's why he said the dumb thing about 15 to 20 vomits per practice because he knows everybody is telling him this Nebraska football team is soft, and they get pushed around by Iowa and Wisconsin and others in their own division, um, and they just showed that. Northwestern kind of knocked them around. Adrian Martinez, you know, he stuck with him. He, he was a freshman, then he regressed, 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 stuck with him. You know, he was his prize recruit, um, and he just never developed him, and that's an issue. Uh, so you could throw that under quarterback development. And then media stupidity, again, you, you were talking about the guy who showed up at the Big Ten, let there be like a 40-second awkward silence, um, you know, showed no enthusiasm whatsoever about being there or, or Nebraska football. And I was okay with that because I thought, okay, there's no point promising you're going to go from three and nine to 10 and two or whatever. You show it on the field and then they come out and they show it on the field and they lose. So I'm like, okay, well, I want one thing. If you're not going to show it on the field, at least lie to me at Big Ten Media Day and tell me you're going to be good. He didn't do either of that. And then, you know, the vomit thing, um, you know, throwing Mark Whipple under the bus. These things you just can't do. People are going to scrutinize it. And, Honestly, so LSU under Brian Kelly has become a national joke hmm. um, because of the, the lack of fit. You know, Brian Kelly with the accent, Brian Kelly with the video. That's the joke. And, and Nebraska has honestly become a national joke, too, with Scott Frost uh, and his inability to win and his demeanor and dumb things he says in the media. And it's all come back to bite him. This is right in my wheelhouse, Mike. So here's a couple of things about Scott Frost I think people need to understand. He obviously yeah. spent two years at UCF where, where I cover specifically. A, the the recruit the recruiting aspect of Florida is fantastic, right? He has he has recruits in his backyard. When when he got to UCF, first of all, he gets a lot of credit for UCF's uh, undefeated season. There's a handful of those guys that George O'Leary actually had on the team that he took over with, and, and Frost kind of made them better. But he had a fertile recruiting ground. We talked to so many players on my show, and they tell me all the time, I got to play in the Oregon offense without having to go to Oregon. And that's what kept them in Florida. That's what kept them there and around that. I think he was able to mask some of his coaching deficiencies because he had such talented kids around him. People forget he was a, he was a two year head coach at UCF, his first two years as a head coach and went to Nebraska. I don't think he brought that offense. A fun uh, stat that we learned. um, We had Mackenzie Milton on the show um, a while back and Mackenzie Milton told us in that 2017 season, they did not run the same play out of the same sets twice that season and and you saw an offensive genius offensive guy and he gets to nebraska and that's just gone away for some reason and i, I don't know what that is i think it's the recruiting element that's a big part of it he's not getting those florida kids we used to trust yeah. me at ucf we monitored that because we'd go hey we're in a battle with nebraska let's see if we win this kid and he yeah. used to win those first early contests and we'd be like ah oh, crap here we go and literally a year later those kids are all back in the portal back coming to Florida because they don't want to yeah. live in the cold. Yeah. He can't recruit that athlete out there in Florida, well, California, Texas. You can go in that Oregon offense and stay in the warm. Nebraska's not pulling that off, man. And I think that's the element of it is, is I think people thought he was a great coach and maybe he will be, but I think the teams and the athletes made him look a lot better. You strip that down and this is the Scott Frost that you have. Yeah. And, and the thing about it is it, the cold is okay. If you're, you know, 11 and one, you know, or, or going to the playoff like Michigan, you know, or fighting for a national championship. If you're three and nine, the quarter is miserable, especially from the, from the Southeast. So you, you can't be happy there losing. But I didn't put recruiting in here simply for the reason I don't think Nebraska needs a great recruiter. I think they need a great coach. Um, 
they're not going to get four and five star guys. You know, their roster is going to have at most maybe, maybe 15 four stars. Maybe. Uh, could be less. And and no five stars. Um, you know, they flirted with five stars before. They just don't get them. Maybe they'll get one every four years. So you need a coach who can recruit to his system. And his system has to be different. And it has to be difficult to deal with. His system isn't different. It's not difficult to deal with. And he hasn't recruited to that system, you know, a la Rich Rodriguez at West mm-hmm. Virginia or some of the other guys who won with three stars. Um, he's just not doing that. So, you know, I think a really, really good football coach who gets three stars and coaches them up to be fours is what's needed here. He had a lot of advantages in Florida to recruit. I get that. He inherited a pretty talented roster. Um but I didn't put recruiting on here simply because I thought he was good enough coach to win with the three stars like like Wisconsin does, like Iowa does. I mean, those guys, they're used to it. They, they do it all the time. Well, I think that's the that's the myth is I think he got, you know, put on this mantle as a fantastic coach after he goes 13-0 UCF. People don't recognize that next year Josh Heupel came in basically went undefeated regular season, lost one game to LSU. I think that that's that little run was more about the players than the coach. I think that's what Scott Frost is being figured out to be now is he's a, he's probably a decent coach, but he's probably a coach that belongs at an FIU uh, at a smaller school someplace where, you know, he has a little bit uh, less stress pressure and whatever you want to call it on him. Cause I think he got to hide two years at UCF knowing who he was until all of a sudden they look up and we're seven and zero in 2017. And they're like, Oh, look at this Frost guy. Look at that. Um, but I, I'm curious to see what his next move is. Does does he go back to offensive coordinator? Does Chip Kelly give him a call? Obviously, he's from the Chip Kelly tree. You know, does he head back to UCLA and coordinate offense? Does he take some time off? I'm curious to see what his next move is, and if in if at all he's able to rehab himself on that. Probably coordinator. I mean, it, it, no one's going to hire him as head football coach right now. And he was a hot name at Oregon before UCF hired him. That what? that hot name is gone. No one's going to hire him. But he's got a lot of money to count. So. He'll be okay. He'll he'll drop back down to coordinator or maybe go off to the NFL and, and make more money. Well, another guy who's going to be okay and is going to make a lot of money is Davos Swinney. He got paid, Mike. I know we've talked about um, um, coaches' contracts the last couple of shows. Dabo, we can, um, if, if you're on the internet right now, go ahead and cancel that GoFundMe for Dabo. I think he's going to be okay. Yeah, and, and a lot of people were like, uh, he's not worth it, which was funny because, you know, Oh, you're paying for the past. You're paying for his two national championships. But last year, look at them. Well, they won 10 games last year. And guess what? They haven't won less than 10 games in a decade. And and that's just, he's a great coach. He's perfect for them. That Carolina job is going to be open. Uh, Matt Rule is not going to make it this season. Uh, they flirted with him before Matt Rule. I think this is the administration saying these NFL jobs are going to come open. This is not a fun college football world. You know, Dabo doesn't like NIL. Dabo doesn't like the transfer portal. There's a lot of non-fun things for coaches to deal with. We better pay this guy and pay him well. Uh, and they did, and he absolutely deserves it. So, you know, they overpaid for Mel Tucker. They overpaid for Jimbo Fisher. They overpaid for Brian Kelly. Um, you know, the two most recent big signings, Nick Saban and Dabo Swinney, uh, you could make an argument they're underpaid or being paid exactly what they deserve. Well, it wasn't, isn't the hot rumor, wasn't the hot rumor always that um, Dabo would be in line for Alabama? Yeah, it was the hot rumor because he, he played there and all that stuff. It was never really, from what I know and from what people I've spoken to, it was never really an option that he was going to succeed, Saban. He's not an idiot. 
know, people mm-hmm. look at him with the aw shucks and the smile and, and, you know, even the affability on Monday night, you know, after the, the game's close against Georgia Tech, he's still like a smiling guy. Um, he's not an idiot and he's not going to do that. Um, I think he played that, you know, his agent played that up. Of course, his agent's going to play up everything to get a good contract. Um, but, you know, I just don't think he was going to be the guy that was going to go from success at Clemson to there's no chance. Whoever follows Nick Saban has 0% chance of being successful to that level. Just no chance. I don't care who it is. It could be Bill Belichick. Not going to happen. So Dabo's smart. He knows that. I think, you know, being lost in this too is, is Dabo's replacing both coordinators, right? I, I think this is an interesting coaching year. I'm curious to see how he, you know, how, how he, how he moves. Obviously Brent Venables in Oklahoma, uh, Tony Elliott now at uh, what uh, Virginia. Uh, and, and so I'm curious to see how, how that plays out um, because obviously, you know, he had that tight knit coaching group. You saw Jeff Scott leak out to, to USF, but now he's lost his other two coordinators. I'm curious to see how, yeah. how he responds. Obviously, got a great staff i'm sure he's got great coaches around him but this is an this is an interesting year for me um that's why i, I was curious of the timing of it I, if you had told me in the off season this happened i might i might buy that more i was curious of the timing after one week uh and i assume this has been in the works for a while i assume his yeah. agent would wake up on tuesday it was like hey by the way do you want to give dabo any money i'm sure this has been in the works for a while yeah, but i thought the timing was interesting yeah and i don't really think there's any strategy to the timing um he, he promoted two coaches from within and that's another thing he's criticized about. You know, he's very loyal to his staff. And, you know, he talks about the transfer portal being in this locker room and a lot of antiquated things, but it doesn't matter. Um, and people say this contract is a bad one because Dabo won't adapt to college football. And so in five years, he's going to be left so far behind those that do embrace the portal and embrace NIL. He's not an idiot. He's going to embrace NIL. He's going to embrace the portal. He's, he's just he's not stubborn, but he, he's got this culture. This culture that is feeding upon itself of players wanting to play for him and wanting to come to Clemson. And that's a selling point. <clears throat> Once that culture takes a dip, uh, and by that I mean more people leave during the portal or it starts to hurt recruiting or whatever, um, then he's going to adjust appropriately and he, he will get players. I think Clemson's in great shape. I think they're going to be the king of the ACC for a very long time. I think Miami's probably the biggest threat to them, but they're like two or three years away. Uh, from making noise with Mario Cristobal. Um, and, you know, it's funny, that division, you know, Florida State pulls out a, a victory against LSU, and, and you're like, okay, maybe they can come back. And then Louisville loses to Syracuse. You know, BC loses to Rutgers. It's like, who's ever, ever going to challenge him? I, I know Wake Forest made it last year, you know, but that's a blip. They're not going to do that every year. It's his division. It's his conference, and, and he's getting paid accordingly. Me. Yeah, you're busy. Uh, you want to break you some know. news? You got anything good? You want, to, or is it your bang no, energy? Just annoying. It's it, that was a telemarketer. Uh, I, 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 I love tell. I lean in at telemarketers. I like to have a conversation, ask a bunch of questions. You I like to make a lot it, of time on your hands, man. Yeah, you know, if you're gonna call me, you're you're gonna get the full experience. If you're gonna pick up the phone and call me, uh, I, I was gonna ask about. I can't do it. I was going to ask about Dabo. Do, is, and conspiracy theory wise, do you read anything into this to say Clemson is basically signaling to a conference like the SEC? We're here. We're stable. If you want to make a move, we're ready. I know grant of rights in the ACC is astronomical. I know there's there's tough ways out of that. Do you fortune anything that says Clemson saying, "Listen, you want stability. You want a program that's going to you know be great. We've got a coach locked up. Come take us." No. 
I, I don't right. see any. I don't see anything there because Clemson's an attractive. You know, for, first of all, the SEC would love to pair Clemson with South Carolina and own that state and have that natural rivalry. I mean, it, you know, they they and, and the Big Ten would love Clemson. Everybody would love Clemson. Um, the grant of rights is what holds them back. But no, I mean, it, it, let's say Dabo decided to go off the NFL and take the Carolina job. They would hire somebody, a big name um, with the salary they're willing to pay, uh, and they would still be able to sell stability. So I don't think it has anything to do with conference realignment. Um, you know, I, I'm curious to see how successful he would be in the SEC, but I don't think we're mm-hmm. going to see that. I don't think we have to worry about that. The SEC, you know, and this is the other thing, too, people don't understand. is like the SEC has, you know, expanded with Texas and Oklahoma, and everybody had to vote on that and say yes. And it's because of the astronomical amount of money that they can bring in. But also you have to share it now with two other teams. And so expansion isn't that easy in the SEC moving forward because everybody's got to vote on this and say, all right, do we want to give up another percentage of the pie to these teams coming in? Uh, Texas and Oklahoma made sense, but – Maybe some of these others don't. And the Big Ten as well. I mean, I've heard Ohio State doesn't want expansion anymore. They agreed to USC and UCLA. And, of course, they're not going to leave those teams out on an island. But they don't want to split the money anymore. Um, and why would they? They're the kings of the the Big Ten. you know. And, and to have a UCLA team, which can't even get like 17,000 people in the stands for their freaking opener, or to have a Rutgers or, or Maryland you know, reaping the benefits of your hard work, I don't think they want to add any more teams to do that. So I think expansion is going to be Big 12, Pac-12, um, and that's kind of it for now. Well, plenty happening off the field, Mike. Luckily, there's some stuff that's going to happen on the field this week, and we have a we have a pretty sneaky, decent slate of Week 2 games. This is always those interesting lull weeks where you get that Week 1 jolt of energy, and then Week 2, Week 3, you're like, eh, we're waiting for conference play. Some sneaky games this week, including Nick Saban, traveling up to Austin with his Alabama Crimson Tide to face his old friend Steve Sarkeesian and the Longhorns. Turns out the Alabama band won't be going along, but at least hopefully Alabama football players will be going along, Mike. Um, Give give me your read on this one. Is there anything that you can do to convince me this won't be an Alabama blowout? No. The only thing I could convince you of is, you know, I thought Ohio State would be a blowout. um, and, And, you know, they were at home. Uh, and Notre Dame hung in there, and and that was the talk of the whole game. It's like, oh, Notre Dame's hanging around, even when they were leading. Notre, Notre Dame was hanging around, so we knew they would lose, but they they covered the seventeen. Is really is the intrigue here? And Texas is not Notre Dame. Um, can they cover the twenty and keep this within three touchdowns? Most people don't think they will. I can't really see any possibility of them hanging in this game. Um, Nick Saban loves Sark. He loves a lot of his former coaches, but he's also going to make this a statement game. You're coming in the SEC. Uh, we're recruiting against you in the state of Texas for some kids. I'm going to mm-hmm. beat you by 50 if I can. So there's no way this is a close game. What should Texas fans take out of this contest? Just just take your whooping and go home. Is this a referendum on Sark and, and sort of where he's at? Or is this just, look, man, you have Alabama deal with it? Well, you hope you stay in, in the game. You know, you hope you're in the game in the third quarter. You hope you, you give Alabama a little bit of trouble. You hope to see some signs of life. Um, and, and there are signs of life on offense. I mean, Quinn Ewers is, is a, a dynamic talent. You know, B. John Robinson is, is dynamic. Mm-hmm. Xavier Worthy, Jatavian Sanders, they've got guys. Um, you hope the defense can hang in there against a really, really explosive offense that just toys with people. So your hope as a Texas fan is that this becomes, you know, a two-score game. 
Uh, maybe you lose by 10 and you take this as momentum, you know, going into the rest of the season. Um, Oklahoma game is week four, you know, take this as a litmus. What you hope doesn't happen as a Texas fan is that it's an astronomical embarrassment because <clears throat> let's say it's 55 to three or something crazy. And I don't think that will be the case, but let's say it is. Then you've got questions. Then you've got questions, not only from fans, but you've got questions from boosters. You've got questions from Arch Manning and his people saying, what the hell did I just see? You know, how could you be this far off from the number one team in the country? So when Sark comes out and says, this doesn't define our program prior to the game, uh, that scares me a little bit. When he says the goal is the Big 12 championship game, I don't think that's the message he should be sending. I think the message is, this is going to be a great indicator of where we stand and what work we have to do because we're playing the best team in the country. And we want to play Alabama uh, later on in the season or next season for a national title. That's kind of what he should be saying. But instead he said, ah, this isn't going to define us. And, you know, I'm focused on the big 12 and a lot of excuses prior to the game. If you're a Texas fan, do you know what you have yet in, in Quinn Ewers? You mentioned he, he's a, he's a great talent. Uh, he, he's got a lot of skills, uh, but he's he's relatively proven, relatively relatively unproven. Excuse me, relatively untested, playing an Alabama team. Yeah. I mean, what what do you expect to see out of a, of a kid like Quinn Ewers? Could this be one of those games where it's either, hey man, this is the the legend of Quinn Ewers forms, and we know him for something other than getting his car towed, or is this the game where you go, ah, this is uh, this kid's not this kid's not what we thought he was? I feel bad for him simply because, <clears throat> you know. Louisiana Monroe is not going to give you any sort of, you know, feel for how he is other than physically, you know, you, you might as well be playing seven on seven and showing off the arm strength and all the things you get to evaluate or high school football, where he's just not playing against a lot of great players, Alabama. I mean, Dallas Turner, Will Anderson coming off the edge. That offensive line is shaky. They've had some injuries. They weren't good last year. He could be on the ground a lot. And if he is on the ground a lot, this is the thing if you want to look at it if you're a Texas fan. Can my quarterback perform under pressure? Can he take a hit, get back up, and settle himself and make a play the next down? Can he make a play under duress? Because he's going to be under duress the entire game. Um, but I would think what they'll do strategy-wise, get the ball out of his hands very quickly. Um, they don't want him sitting back there. Um, you know, get him some confidence. But eventually it's going to be third and long, and eventually those guys are going to tee off. And that's where I think we're going to see Quinn Ewers fail um, and maybe not his fault. You know, you see a lot of quarterbacks in the NFL who don't have good offensive lines and who get hammered. Um, you know, it, it's really they have no time to throw the ball and everybody says they suck. I mean, <clears throat> look at um, Daniel Jones, right? Hmm. Daniel Jones numbers, I think it's compared to Josh Allen, are not far off when you talk about statistics. But Josh Allen's on a good team that keeps him upright. Daniel Jones is on a horrible team, and he's always running. Um, the perception is Josh Allen is the next superstar of the NFL and one of the top five players, and Daniel Jones sucks, and he should be benched and thrown away. They're similar numbers. Um, so Quinn Ewers is going to get after this game. It's like, oh, he sucks. He can't handle pressure. He's washed up. The real litmus test for him is like the Oklahoma game, I think, in, in a couple of weeks. Hopefully Josh Allen does well. He's on my fantasy team this year, Mike. All right. Uh, App State tonight going to College Station. Yeah, it's got 8.15 on Thursday for whenever you're listening to this. Uh, Apps, uh, App State going to College Station. They hung 60-plus on North Carolina. Will they hang 60-plus on Texas A&M? 
Uh, no. Uh, but it 50? will be, it, it will, no, it'll be an 40? interesting game. So the over-under is 54, and Vegas is smart, and, and Vegas has A&M yes. as a 19-point favorite. So Vegas knows that App State's not scoring 50. Uh, Vegas knows App State's not scoring 40. Uh, Vegas thinks App State's going to score 20-something, and this Texas A&M defense is, is very, very good. Um, mm-hmm. The offense, not so good. So I think what you're going to see here <clears throat> is an opportunity for App State to put up points. They got really good running backs. Chase Bryce is efficient at quarterback, but nobody in Vegas where life matters feels that they're going to put up a lot of points because that 54, it's ridiculously low. So what it's doing is teasing you to take the over. And when that happens, you always take the under. So I think this is going to be a lower scoring game than people think. North Carolina is historically bad on defense uh, so far, you know, two games. Um, Texas a and not. I think App State's going to come down to earth, score maybe 24 at best. And, but I think they will cover this game and, and lose by a touchdown or less. See, to me, I think this could be – this feels like a statement game opportunity for Texas A&M, right? Because, you know, App State's the darling. They put up a bunch of points, a fun game against North Carolina. You know, obviously people have a lot of respect for their offense, Chase Bryce and what they put together. You know, if Texas A&M holds them to 10 – you know, and wins this thing 42-10, just throwing out numbers, right? Uh, which is uh, which is the under uh, from that perspective. I, I feel like this has a chance for Texas A&M to sort of put a bit of a, I don't know, a bit of a statement. I'm not saying App State is great, but the perception is that they are a darn good football team, right? And if Texas A&M squashes them, it's a nice early statement win for Jimbo. They beat Sam Houston 31 nothing, and they look like garbage. And, yeah. and Haynes King turned the ball over a couple times, and, and people are like, this is not a good football team. And they're number six in the country. They have mm-hmm. to destroy App State. You know, they've got Miami next and Arkansas after that. I mean, those are two very difficult games. They're both at home, but that's not easy. So, and Jimbo is under scrutiny here. You know, number one recruiting class, uh, $10 million a year, guaranteed money. People want to see this year be the year that Texas A&M makes a run at things. Uh, so they better not stub their toe here. They better have an impressive big win. Haynes King better show that he's the number one guy. Um, and and then move on to the next two games. And if they're 4-0 after Miami and Arkansas, everybody will be crowing about Jimbo and what a great hire he is, what a great coach he is, blah, blah, blah. And that's really what AM needs because from a national perspective, everybody looks at AM as a team that just never won anything, never can win anything, and will continue to stumble. Um, and, and they really have to change that perception this season. COVID year almost did it when they just missed the playoff. But nobody cares about COVID year. They just don't. Like Florida was good in COVID year under Dan Mullen. So everything's kind of thrown out the window there. All right. Speaking of Florida, reason number 8,648 why the preseason poll is stupid. Florida goes from unranked to number 12 in the nation. They are bringing Kentucky into the swamp. My Kentucky ranked number 20. Uh, it's a 7 p.m. Another night game in the swamp. It's human. It's muggy. It'll probably be raining at that point. Alligators everywhere, locusts, love bugs, the whole nine yards. Uh, what what do you need to see Florida do for you to think and know that they're for real? It was a great win against Utah, but we talked about this uh, this week. Utah did some things where you're like, okay, that's not really great. What does Florida need to show you in this game where after you and I talk next week and you go, yeah, you know what, Florida's for real? Well, they have to continue to run the ball and, and, and play more physical. So Kentucky's a physical football team, and Utah was as well. Um, you know, the zone read from Anthony Richardson is going to be very difficult to stop. They have to continue to do that, keep people off balance. 
Um, and they have to play smash mouth football and just run over a pretty good Kentucky defense. Now, Kentucky's missing some players. You know, most importantly, Chris Rodriguez, the running back, who's still uh, on disciplinary. Um, you know, that's why they're a favorite here. Uh, heading into this season, you know, any pre-lines of week two had Kentucky as a, a pretty clear favorite over Florida, even though it was at the Swamp. Everything shifted with that Utah game. Everything shifted with Anthony Richardson. And now I think Anthony Richardson is giving them, you know, a good field goal to maybe six-point swing in the spread here. Um, they've got to run. They've got to be powerful. they got to play physical because um, Kentucky is going to line it up, and that's what they're going to do. Will Levis is overlooked here a little bit, um, but – this is a matchup of two guys that the NFL absolutely loves. Will Levis and his arm, Anthony Richardson and his physical six foot four, 230 pound athleticism. Um, you know, but this is a big game for Florida and it sounds stupid. You know, Brian Kelly, five reasons why he's not going to succeed, succeed after one game. Big game for Florida and Billy Napier's second game. And the reason I say it's big is because it's against a ranked opponent, it's at home, it's an in division opponent. Yep. And if you lose it, you take a step back and then everybody yeah. starts talking about, well, Cam rising through that pick in the end zone and that was a bad decision. And well, Florida is going to be Florida. And here we go again with McElwain. Yeah. And this, this loss could undo all the good from the week. Prior. All, of it. all of it. And they will drop out of the top 25 immediately, even though it's a loss to a top 20 team. But I don't think they're going to lose. I think they're going to win. Um, and I think Richardson's the guy – it's really going to be based on the game plan. If they run it, they got really good running backs. The offensive line looks solid. Um, but if they run that zone read, he's impossible to really defend in that case. You know, similar to Cam Newton, you, you if you don't crash, it's six yards every time. If you over crash, he's going to pull it, and it's 40 yards the other way for a touchdown. So, how do you stop that? You, what you do is you give up the six and the six and the six and the six, and you guard against him with the big play, and you hope there's a fumble or a penalty or something. But that's no way to play defense. He always has defenses on their heels when he's healthy. We saw this, too, before. This isn't new. We just saw it in little, little spurts. Um, so he's got to stay healthy. He's got to you know be efficient passing the football, but really it's the run game. A sneaky good game for those of you who want to stay up late on Saturday night. A future Big 12 tilt, Mike. Baylor heads up to BYU. BYU had a scrimmage against USF this past week. Looked pretty dominant. Baylor ranked number nine. BYU is an interesting place to play. Uh, if you haven't played there before, it's an interesting environment. Uh, interesting, uh, you know, just entire scene there. BYU is a, a team obviously wants to be tough. They, they have a, a very good offense. But again, they played a scrimmage. I don't know how good to know that if they are. Baylor is one of those teams that you think is vying for the Big 12 championship. What do you make of this uh, this matchup? I think it's a really interesting one early in the season. Yeah, Jaron Hall is hard to defend, uh, the BYU quarterback. He's going to give them some problems. But this is going to come down to speed, um, and it's also going to come down to how well Baylor can hold up on the road. Um, you know, there's elevation issues. Um, it's a typical place to play. Lavelle yeah. and Edwards Stadium is not – an easy atmosphere to play in. Um, you know, it, it's a road game. If the fans get behind BYU and they start to, you know, get a lead or, or even, you know, pull away a little bit, it's hard to come back there. But I look at the speed difference. I mean, this is a team, Baylor, that's built on speed um, ever since, you know, even before Matt Rule 
they wanted speed guys and they got them. So I think eventually the speed's going to get them, you know, to pull away from BYU a little bit, not pull away. They're probably going to win this game by, you know, maybe a field goal or four or five points, but I got Baylor winning on the road. And then the third and final matchup this weekend of two ranked teams, the Tennessee Volunteers head to Pittsburgh, Mike, to, to play Pitt. Obviously, we yeah. saw what Pitt did in the backyard brawl. Keaton Slovis looked okay. Uh, Tennessee, obviously, a high-powered offense under Josh Heupel, Hendon Hooker. Again, this game is in Pittsburgh, 3 o'clock afternoon game. You know, I think Tennessee is a team that's really interesting because offensively, you know they're dangerous. They can put up a bunch of points. Defense is improving. Uh, but we haven't really seen Tennessee be consistent in some respects. This is a good opportunity for them to put a good win on the board against a, te- a pit team that didn't look fantastic against West Virginia but did enough to win the game. They're ranked 17. What are your keys for this one? Where you lean as you think through Tennessee-Pittsburgh? Well, I think it's a really good offense for Tennessee against a really um, – underrated defense for Pitt. They've got a, a tremendous front. Uh, their, their defensive backs can close on the football. Um, you know, Tennessee's favored by six on the road. Uh, Pitt won this game last year, but Kenny Pickett's gone. Uh, you know, Jordan Addison's gone. There, there are a lot of weapons that have moved on. We saw Pitt with the balance, you know, more so than, than under Mark Whipple. They can run the football. They showed that against West Virginia. Slovis is efficient. I mean, efficient, 308 yards. He's throwing the ball downfield and, and making big plays. But I think Tennessee is really hungry and angry after losing that game last year. Um, and I think the offense is going to be too much for Pitt. So I've got Tennessee winning this football game on the road, but I think it's a field goal. I, I don't think it's a real route. Fun fact, um, Josh Heupel uh, ha- has played uh, against Pat Narduzzi a handful of times, played him twice at UCF. They're actually the team that broke UCF's regular season winning streak. They beat them in Pittsburgh and obviously now beating him last year. So those two have history. I, mean, I think Narduzzi understands how to defend that offense. I'm not saying he will, but Narduzzi has played that you know, that air raid style offense against Hypo understands the speed, understands the tempo. If any coach knows what he's up against, it's going to be Narduzzi. That, then it becomes a talent thing, right? I mean, that's Heupel's offense, which is my guy is better than your guy, and yeah. I'm going to throw it up here and have him prove it to you. So I'm curious to see how how this responds because Narduzzi, to some respect, has had has had Heupel's number and, and from a, a tactical standpoint. That's going to be a really good game. And, and the, you know, the over 67 and a half, and it's going to go over that. I think you're going to see a bit of a shootout here, despite the fact that, you know, Tennessee's improved on defense, we hope. Uh, and it, last week wasn't an indication. You really can't tell. And Pitt's a solid defensive team under Narduzzi, but I think you're also going to just end up seeing this go back and forth and each team having trouble stopping the other. All right, let's uh, we'll wrap up with this, Mike. Give me a give me a sneaky game this weekend. People aren't maybe talking about, you know, maybe not a ton of ranked teams, but a sneaky game that you're interested in keeping an eye on. South Carolina, Arkansas. Um, you know, it's going to be interesting to me. Arkansas, you know, held serve in the first game against Cincinnati. Uh, they're favored in this game at home. South Carolina, Spencer Rattler was up and down a little bit in the first game. They don't really have tremendous wide receivers, but he, you know, is going to be difficult to game plan for. KG Jefferson, solid. They have the running game solid, defense is solid. Uh, but I think as Rattler becomes more comfortable in that offense, they could give Arkansas some trouble. I've got Arkansas winning the game. I'm just not sure if I like that eight-point line because uh, I think this could be a six-point game. Anybody on upset alert this weekend? No. Nope. Nope. I mean, look Wait. at him. Look at him. Look at him. Yeah. Who's going to win? Is Vanderbilt going to be Wake Forest? 
Do we know which quarterback um, Jim Harbaugh starting against Hawaii? Is yeah. it J.J. McCarthy JJ. week? Is that what it is? Okay. J.J. is week, you know? Okay. So I, I think they're going to be fine. And I don't really see a lot of upsets. I see some good games with no upsets. Anything you're mad about? One thing I'm not mad about, we should mention quickly. Welcome back. Sam Hartman uh, obviously had a, a medical condition. He's been cleared by Wake Forest. They take on Vandy this weekend. So welcome back to, to Sam Hartman. Obviously off the field stuff is always scary. So glad to have him back. He's the... Uh, College football more fun with Wake Forest and Sam Hartman are slinging around. But anything got you pissed off, Mike, right now? It's mm. it's Friday Eve here. We got some games coming. NFL starting tonight on Thursday. You have NFL slate this weekend. Yeah. I, I got to feel this is like prime time for Mike Farrell. This is like this is, this not, is the pinnacle, right? This isn't pissed off time, though. You know, I mean, we got NFL back. So I'm going to be watching that tonight. College football Friday, Saturday. I'm not pissed about anything. I will be next week, I'm sure. But right now I got nothing. Speaking of Saturday, tell people a little bit more about uh, the Saturday uh, morning show you and Thor are putting on. Uh, where can they catch that? What's that all about? Um, it's on Betting Pros on YouTube. You can check it out. We, we go through, you know, 16 games roughly, give you the spread, let you know who's going to win, who's uh, going to cover, and we, we go pretty deep on it. So it's exciting. Again, follow MikeFarrellSports.com, uh, bookmark it, subscribe to it, make it your homepage, get alerts, you know, send up flare signals, do what you got to do. Mike's building out a, a nice content factory over there. Follow Mike on social media, M. Farrell Sports. Again, if you're watching this on YouTube, you know, you're welcome for the 49 plus minutes of just staring at Mike, who's now uh, engulfed in a, a, a ray of, of sunshine here and you can't barely see him. Uh, but uh, subscribe on YouTube. That way, anytime this thing uh, happens to pop into your feed, you'll be uh, you'll be the first to know about it. a nice weekend of game. Enjoy them while you can, folks. Week three looking a little paltry. Not looking not looking ahead. Don't see a ton of matchups. I'm loving there. Maybe Miami, Texas A&M. But so enjoy week two while you got it. We'll be back sometime early next week. I'm sure if Mike and I can figure out how to work together and get everything situated to recap the week that was. But uh, until then, enjoy the weekend, friends. Go football. We'll talk soon. Take care. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.